السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي امري واحلل عقده من لساني يفقهوا قولي بس نمبر 149 سوره الكهف ايه نمبر 128 سوره الكهف is a makki surah which means that this is a surah that was revealed before the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam migrated to Medina. So keep the Makki era in mind. What was the situation of the Muslims? What struggles were they facing? They had newly accepted Islam, many of them. And even if they had embraced Islam years ago, it hadn't been more than 10 years. It hadn't been more than 9, 8, 7 years. And as recent converts, first of all, they were facing a lot of difficulty in their community. because all of a sudden there was a rift between them and the rest of the people and then on top of that they were being forced to go back to their ways so in this surah which is a makki surah allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us about different stories different incidents beginning from the story of the people of the cave because that served as a motivation and also as a source of guidance for them that Allah's help is with you if you are upon the truth Allah's help is with you so i want you to keep the makki context in mind as we study this surah and it is said that the surah was revealed between the 8th and the 10th year of prophethood and this surah has 110 verses over 1500 words how many words over 1500 and over 6000 huruf If you were to recite this surah how much minimum ajr would you get from hadith what do we learn that for every harf is 10 rewards right alif is a harf lam is a harf and mim is a harf which means every single letter counts for every single letter you get 10 good deeds so this surah has how many letters over 6000 multiply that by 10 60,000 hasanat. Imagine 60,000 good deeds. If somebody were to offer you $60,000 for reading 10 pages, would you do it? Yeah, I would do it 50 times. Right? 10 pages, how hard is that? How difficult is that? Even if it would take me 2 hours to do it, I think I would try. Why not? $60,000 is worth it. You know what? 60,000 hasanat are better than $60,000. Because $60,000, they stay in this dunya. But 60,000 hasanat, they make it to Jannah. And when they make it to Jannah, they bring you everlasting reward, everlasting happiness. The recitation of Surah Al-Kahf, the recitation of Surah Al-Kahf, that itself can bring a person so much reward. And there is a lot of significance attached to the recitation of the Surah. In a hadith we learned, the Prophet ﷺ said, that whoever recites Surah Al-Kahf on Friday, it will illuminate him with light. from one friday to the next reading the surah on friday will illuminate a person meaning will bring him nur don't we ask allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for nur allahumma ja'al fi qalbi nura it doesn't mean you are, oh allah give me like a physical light what does nur mean hidayah guidance clarity so allah will give him nur from that friday to the next 
In a hadith we learn, which is also an authentic hadith, Shaykh Al-Bani has authenticated in his book, As-Silsat that man qara'a surat al-kahf, whoever recites surat al-kahf, exactly as it was revealed, meaning the entire surah, beginning to end, kanat lahu nuran yawm al-qiyamah, it will be for him a light on the day of judgment. How much light? Mim maqamihi ila Makkah. From where he is present to Makkah. So for example, you are in North America. Now just imagine the distance from North America all the way to Makkah. How long is that distance? I think it's quite significant. Several thousand miles. Now imagine that big of a light on the day of judgment. With who? With a person who recites Surah Al-Kahf. So just the recitation of the surah is a source of great benefit. Light in this dunya and light in the akhirah. And not just its recitation, its memorization also. Because you can only recite when you've memorized. And by memorization I mean literally you've memorized it, you've preserved it in your memory. Because generally what happens, if we have not memorized the surah, then we think, okay, when I go home, then I'll find a mushaf, then when I get to sit, then I can sit with the mushaf and read. But if you've memorized it, you can recite it even when you're putting your clothes away. Even as you're walking to your bus stop. Even as you're sitting in the bus when you don't have a mushaf. You can recite it anywhere. So the memorization of the surah is also a source of great benefit. In a hadith we learned, the Prophet ﷺ said, whoever memorizes three ayats from the beginning of Surah Al-Kahf, can that be done? Three? Three. Are they long? Is that a lot? No. Three ayat from the beginning of Surah Al-Kahf will be protected from the fitnah of Dajjal. In another hadith we learn whoever memorizes ten ayat from the beginning of Surah Al-Kahf will be protected from the fitnah of Dajjal. So ten ayat from the beginning of Surah Al-Kahf. In a hadith we learned that once a man was reciting Surah Al-Kahf at night. And his animal, his horse, was also you know, at the side of his house, so basically indoors. And when he was reciting the Qur'an, Surah Al-Kahf, he sensed that his horse was feeling startled, and it was moving a lot. And he was afraid because his son was sleeping close by, so he was afraid that if the horse moves too much, you know, his son will get hurt. So he stopped, and he, when he looked overhead, he saw a cloud. Imagine, in the house, you see like white smoky stuff. Okay, so he got a little afraid also. And the next day, he told the Prophet ﷺ and he said that this was tranquility which descends when a person reads the Qur'an. So the angels also come especially to listen to the recitation of the Qur'an. And Surah Al-Kahf is no ordinary surah. It is a surah with great significance. So when a person is reciting it, there is nur for him in this dunya, there is nur for him in the akhirah. He will be protected from the fitnah of the jal. And the angels of mercy also especially surround him. So what is the surah? Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Alhamdulillah. All praise to Allah. All praise is due to Allah alone. Why? Because He is Alladhi, the one who Anzala ala abdihi al-kitab Who has sent down on His servant the book who has revealed to his servant the scripture. Which scripture? Which book? The Qur'an. And what kind of a book is it? وَلَمْ يَجْعَلْ And he has not made لَهُ for it, meaning for this book. Allah has not made in this book عِوَجًا 
any deviance. Meaning this book is free from any deviation. It is free from any error. And because Allah has revealed this book to His servant, Alhamdulillah, all praise due to Allah. And not just because of this reason that He has revealed the book, but in general also, who is truly deserving of praise? Who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In fact, who? Who besides Allah deserves praise? No one. Allah is the only one who deserves hamd. Why? Due to the perfection of His attributes. Due to the perfection of His actions. Due to the perfection of His decisions. He deserves praise. The previous surah, Surah Al-Isra, that we studied, that surah begins with, Subhanallah, Subhanalladhi. This surah begins with, Alhamdulillah. If you think about it, Surah Al-Isra begins with, Subhan, Subhanalladhi, Subhanallah. Why? What favor is mentioned over there? The great blessing, the great favor of, the journey of, Isra. And over here, Alhamdulillah. Why? What favor is mentioned over here? The revelation of the book. The revelation of the Qur'an. That is a blessing. And this is a blessing. So all that we say is praise be to Allah. Now the question is, what is praise? What do we mean when we say Alhamdulillah? Hamd is to basically mention the most perfect attributes of someone. Why do you mention good attributes, the good qualities of someone? What's the reason behind that? When you're mentioning someone's good qualities, what are you doing? You're praising them. Why would you do that? Okay, gratitude. Why else? Yes? Okay, you're acknowledging the fact that they possess those great qualities. Very good. Why else would you do that? Because they deserve it. They've really done something beautifully. They've really spoken well. They've really done a good job. So obviously you're going to praise them. You're going to mention their good qualities. Now, the word hamd, what does it mean? It is to mention the most perfect attributes of someone. Why? Out of admiration. With love. Like you really, truly admire someone. Because they truly deserve those good qualities. So out of love, out of admiration, you cannot keep silent. Right? What happens? When your heart is full of admiration for something, can you keep silent? Can you keep quiet over there? No, you just keep going on and on and on. You know, for instance, you're sitting with your brother in the car, and he sees a car go by, and he's going on and on and on about the car. And you're like, okay, fine, it's a car. Why is he going on about it? Because his heart is full of admiration for that car. And out of that admiration, he cannot keep quiet. Then, hamd is also to praise out of respect, to magnify the object of praise. Because you really want to show that they're great. You know, for instance, if you want to convince someone to try some food, what do you say? Have it? Please have it? Is that all you do? What do you do? You begin to praise that food. Say, I promise you, you've never had anything like it before. It's so good that you'll remember the taste. You know, you go on praising it because you want to magnify the object of praise. You really want to show that, yeah, it's great. So hamd is with mahabba, with love, with admiration. And it is with ta'zeem, with respect. 
for the purpose of magnification of the object of praise. And by this definition, hamd, it just means it's true praise, meaning the one who is being praised deserves that praise. It's not fake. It's not lies. It's not pretense. It's reality. They really are great. So alhamdulillah, all praise to Allah with love, with admiration, with respect. Why? Because of course He is great. Of course He is the best. Of course He is the most amazing one. Alhamdulillah. And especially why? Because Alladhi anzala ala abdihi al-kitab. Because He revealed upon His servant the book. Which servant? Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Now if you think about it, in Surah Al-Isra, Subhanalladhi asra bi'abdihi. Over there also the Prophet ﷺ was called Abd. Here also he is called Abd. Who is Abd? Servant. If you're ever called a servant, what does that feel like? It's an insult to us. Isn't it? Which is why if somebody keeps asking us to do something, what do we say? You think I'm your servant? Right? We find it very, very disrespectful if somebody calls us a servant. But you know what? Being the servant of Allah is not disgrace. Not at all. What is it? It's the most honorable position that a person could be in. The most honorable position. You know why? Because we were created as Allah's servants. وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسِ إِلَّا So that they become my abd. So that they show servitude. They become my servants. This is worship. And when something is fulfilling its purpose, when something is doing what it was made for, what it was produced for, then is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's the best thing. And if it's not being used for the purpose that it was made, then no matter what it is doing, it's useless. Right? So for example, if you were trained to do a particular job, you went to university to learn to do something, and that is what you do. That's not an insult to you. What is it? It's the best use of your time, of your energy. Why? Because you invested your time into it, your money into it, your effort into it. So we are actually Allah's servants. And when a person is called Allah's servant, that's an honor for him. And the Prophet ﷺ was indeed the best servant of Allah. He was indeed one of the best servants of Allah. And if you think about it, being Allah's servant, what does that mean? Allah's servant. Who's Allah? Who is Allah? Ar-Rabb. Al-A'la. Allahu Akbar. Right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He possesses the highest, the best, the most noble attributes. He is God. And everyone else is creation. So being His servant, being close to Him, serving Him, this is pure honor. This is pure honor. And serving the creation, what is that? Pure disgrace. And you see someone whom you love, someone whom you love, what do you want to do? You want to serve them. Right? Which is why many times when, you know, for example, a wife or a husband is showing their love for one another, what do they say? Yeah, I was meant to 
you know, take care of you and I was meant to serve you. You know, they're showing their love to each other. They don't take this offensively. They find honor in spending money on each other. You know, a woman finds honor in doing her husband's laundry. She will, if she truly loves him. If she doesn't love him, she'll find that as something that is very, very disgraceful. Right? Because when you love someone, you want to serve them. You'll run to serve them. This is a source of honor for you. And this is the reason why there was this uh, man who was madly in love with a woman. And he would say, لا تدعوني إلا بيا عبدها فإنه أشرف أسمائي Don't call me by any name except يا عبدها O servant of hers. Meaning if ever you want to address me, call me, O her servant, so and so servant. Why? Because that is the best name that I have. That is the best name that I have. I love her and if you call me her servant, that's the best thing you could say to me. Crazy. It is. But why is he saying that? Because he loved her. So when you love someone, serving them is an honor. Being called their servant is praise. When slavery was still there in North America, like the slaves were comparing to each other whether, like whose servant they belonged to. Did they, were they the slaves of this, like so-and-so person who was of a higher rank? They were automatically given more rank because they were that person's slave. So it's the same thing for us. We're being called the slaves of the Lord of the entire world. Exactly. So instantly there's honor in that. So the Prophet ﷺ is called Abd over here. Alhamdulillahi alladhi anzal ala abdihil kitab. Um, you gave this example before, like if there's like a secretary of, say, president of America, then basically the stuff she's doing is like a servant. You just don't call her a servant. But she, the, the time she spends and everything she does, she's basically the servant of the president, but she's so proud about it. She's going to tell everybody, I'm the secretary of the president of America. But we're the servant of Allah, so we should be proud about that. Exactly. And the thing is that as human beings, this is within our nature. We have to do something. We have to dedicate our lives, our energies you know, into something. We have to focus everything of ours in a particular direction. And we were created for Allah's worship. And if we turn away from Allah's worship, we will end up in worshiping in the servitude to the creation. You know, this is why Ibn Qayyim, he said that, Haribu مِنَ الرِّقِّ lahu." They ran from the bond for which they were created. Which bond? That being Allah's bondsman, meaning His servant. وَبُلُوا بِرِقِّ النَّفْسِ shaytani. And then they were tried by being the bond servant, the slave of who? The nafs and the shaytan. If we don't become Allah's servant, we will become a servant to our desires and we will become a servant to shaytan. So being Allah's servant is truly an honor. So, أَنزَلَ عَلَىٰ عَبْدِهِ الْكِتَابِ Allah sent the book to His servant. وَلَمْ يَجْعَلْ لَهُ And He did not place in that book any iwaj. This book is free from any iwaj. What is iwaj? Iwaj, deviance. The root is ayn wawjim. The word awj, awj. Same letters but different harakat, awj. Is used for physical crookedness. When something is physically bent. You know, when it's clearly bent. 
it's visibly bent. I mean, you, you see it and you see it's obviously crooked. There's no doubt about that. And rewaj is when something is bent, something is crooked, not physically, but in the intangible sense. Alright? Like for example, certain individuals, they're called straight. Okay? And others are called something else. They're not straight. Why? Is their physical posture bent? Are they physically crooked? No. It's their sexuality. Right? Which is either straight or otherwise. I'm not saying you should start using these terms to refer to people. I'm just giving you an example. Alright? So, this is what iwaj is. When something is crooked, it's not straight, it's not proper. And this bent, this crookedness is not physical, but it's intangible. Alright? So, you perceive this crookedness in a person's behavior, alright? In someone's writing, in their beliefs, in what they promote, in what they teach, in their ideas, their ideology, alright? In their interactions, you say, no, there's something wrong with it. He's perverted. She's not right. This is what iwaj is. When something is problematic, when something is erroneous, it has error in it. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has revealed this book on His servant, and this book, the Qur'an, is free of any iwaj. And notice, iwaja, iwajan. You see the two fatha at the end? What does that show? That this is a noun, and what kind of a noun? It's a common noun. And common noun sometimes is used to show taqlil, to show how little, very little. So, lam iwaja, meaning he has not placed in this book even a little bit of deviation. This book is free from any kind of error. How? If you look at its words, its words are free from incoherence. Allah says, Qur'anan Arabiyan غَيْرَ ذِي It's language, it's so upright, it's so proper, without any error. Then if you look at its information, the information, the news that this book gives, even that is free of any lies. It doesn't misinform people. It doesn't have you know, hearsay in it. Rather, this book has facts in it. If you look at the commands, the instructions which are in this book, what are they? They're also free from any deviation. وَبِالْحَقِّ أَنزَلْنَاهُ وَبِالْحَقِّ نَزَلْ It's the truth. And this book is free from distortion. So what's the first thing we learn about this book from this ayah? That this Qur'an is free of error. It's not a confused jumble of, you know, randomness as people say. It is not falsehood. It's not problematic. Then what is this book? Qayyiman. It is qayyim. There's no iwaj in it. There's no problem in it. And then the Quran is qayyim. What is qayyim? Straight. Qaf, waw, meem. Qaim, one that is standing. And qayyim, one that is upright. One that is proper. So this Quran is qayyim. And the word qayyim has been understood in several ways. First of all, it has been understood as mustaqim, one that is upright, one that is correct, meaning it is as it should be, free from any error. In Surah Al-Isra, Ayah 9, we learned, إِنَّ هَذَا الْقُرْآنِ يَهْدِي لِلَّتِي هِيَ أَقْوَمْ This Qur'an guides to that which is most suitable. And qayyim, secondly, also gives a meaning of one that sets straight. Meaning if something is crooked, Something is problematic, the Qur'an will fix it. 
I mean, just think about it. Our lives, are they full of problems? Our relationships, are they full of problems? Our language, our thinking, are there errors, are there problems over there? Of course. And what do you want to do sometimes? Punch yourself or like hit yourself. You know, get over this bad habit already. You try so hard to fix yourself. Doesn't work. And then you read one ayah of the Qur'an and it fixes you. It scares you. To the point that you're like, that's it. I'm never doing this again. So the Qur'an fixes people. The Qur'an sets right our affairs, our attitude, our character, our actions, our relationship with Allah and our relationship with people. And then the Qur'an is also thirdly, Qayyim gives the meaning of mu'tadil, one that is justly balanced. Because one that is upright means, one that is standing straight means that it's neither bent too much to the right, nor is it bent to the left. Then how is it? In the middle. Justly balanced. Meaning the Qur'an is free from any extremes. Its style is so balanced. Where good news is mentioned, warning is also mentioned over there. Right? Where prohibitions are given, commands are also given. So the Qur'an is balanced. And it also promotes a very balanced way of life. I mean, we haven't been taught to, when we're dealing with people, just be concerned about giving their rights and forget about yourself and forget about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Likewise, we haven't been taught to just worship Allah and neglect ourselves and neglect our families and neglect people. Likewise, we haven't been taught to just focus on ourselves and forget everybody else. What does the Qur'an promote? A balanced way of life. A balanced way of life. Because the Qur'an is Qayyim. So this Qur'an, لَمْ يَجْعَلْ لَهُ عِوَجًا And then Qayyiman. Why has Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent this book? Why did He reveal this book on His servant? What does the ayah say? لِيُنْذِرَ So that He may warn. Warn of what? When you're giving a warning, you're telling somebody, you better stop what you're doing or else you will suffer such and such consequences. You're warning them about something dangerous, something harmful that may happen if they don't change their way. So what is the Qur'an warning us about? Ba'san shadidan. Ba's, that is shadid. What is ba's? Okay, hardship. Remember that ba's is also used for military might. You know, for example, fighting power. And... Basically, it shows that it's some hardship which is upon the body, right? And there's different reasons for that. Over here, ba's gives the meaning of punishment. To warn them that there will be a ba's, a punishment that is shadeed, severe. It's unlike any punishment that you've heard of. Severe punishment. Milladunhu. From near him. From who? From Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. A warning from Allah that if you don't change your ways, there will be severe punishment in the akhirah. But the Qur'an is qayyim, justly balanced. So at the same time, وَيُبَشِّرَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ And it gives good news to those who believe. Who believe in who? Who believe in Allah. Who believe in Allah's angels. Who believe in Allah's messengers. Who believe in Allah's books. Who believe in divine decree, who believe in the day of judgment, those who believe. But it's not just iman. Good news is not just for those who believe, but also الَّذِينَ يَعْمَلُونَ الصَّالِحَاتِ Who are the believers? Those who do righteous deeds. 
those who perform good works what's the good news for them anna that indeed lahum for them ajran hasana a good a beautiful good reward and ajr what is ajr ajr is basically a wage you know when somebody does something you pay them you pay them for their services you pay them for the time that they've invested you pay them for their effort right this is ajr allah says that those who believe and do good for them is a good wage the reward in the akhirah the reward of jannah is it really something that you earn by doing good no because if it was just a wage then what would that mean it should be equal to our deeds but what do we learn for every letter that a person reads of the quran there's 10 good deeds right so then why does allah subhanahu wa ta'ala call reward ajr because he recognizes our efforts he recognizes the work that we have done he appreciates the work that we do annalahum ajran hasana for them is a good reward now what is that good reward it's not mentioned in the same ayah ba'san shadid severe punishment is mentioned what is that severe punishment it's not described over here where do you learn that the description from from the rest of the quran but you know when you tell someone there will be a reward what is that reward you're not told about that what does that show it's a surprise and it's too good to be mentioned right it's too great it's a surprise in the quran we learn fala ta'lamu nafsun ma ukhfiya lahum min qurrati a'yun jaza'an bima kanu ya'malun that no soul knows what is hidden for them of the coolness of the eyes the reward for that which they used to do meaning the reward that a person is going to get they don't know about it they don't know about it what exact reward are they going to get yes we learn about you know rewards in jannah for example but what exactly each person is going to get he's not told it's kept as a surprise i was just thinking that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala like our purpose in life is to serve him and he's saying that if you fulfill your purpose which we have to do anyways then he's giving us something so great exactly i mean this just shows allah's generosity so there's two ways of living one way is of rejecting this quran this book which is free of any iwaj that is qayyim rejecting it and if a person rejects it then what's the consequence ba'san shadidan and if a person believes in this message and does amal salih according to this book then what is the result ajran hasana now what is that reward allahu a'lam but one thing is for sure that reward is eternal makithina fihi abada makithin ones who shall remain makatha mukth we learned that word in surah al-isra what does it mean to remain for a long time so makithin people in reward in jannah they will remain fihi in it abada for always forever meaning once they enter that place of reward then there is no going out there is no leaving there is no time up there is no death there is no fatigue there will be no ending what happens you know when you go to like a palladium or something and 
you get all your tickets or your coins or whatever and you put your money in and you're trying to play a game and as soon as you get into it, time up. It's so frustrating. And they keep tempting you to keep, you know, to put more money in, to put more coins in or whatever it is. And you keep doing that because you want to see how far you can go. But it's so frustrating that why is it ending? And then anything good that you enjoy in this life, what happens to it? What happens to it? It finishes. It ends. You know, when you're with people, you make friends. Even individuals, when they get married, what happens? A time of coming together, a time of staying together, and then a time of parting. One is living and the other is dead. He's gone. This is the sad reality of this dunya. Nothing here is forever. Nothing. Some food you're eating, what's going to happen to it? It's going to finish. The best, the best, you know, product you got for your body, what happens to it? It finishes. It runs out. Khalas, it's over. But Jannah, مَاكِثِينَ فِيهِ abada. The stay in Jannah shall never end. The delights of Jannah shall never end. Its people will not die. Its youth will never go away. There's no aging in Jannah. No aging. Its food will never run out. Its good times will never go. Good times will never end. You know why? Because there's no conflict in Jannah. No arguments. No fighting. No getting upset with each other. But what happens here? You enjoy good friendship with a particular friend for two, three years, and then a few things happen. And then five years later, you remember those good times, and then you have those feelings of sadness that, oh, I don't know what happened, but we just drifted away. I don't know what happened, but we just never could keep up with one another. But in Jannah, there's no conflict, no argument, no hardship, no difficulty. مَا كِثِينَ فِيهِ أبدا. In Surah Al-Hijr, Ayah 48, we learn, لَا يَمَسُّهُمْ فِيهَا نَصَبٌ In Jannah, no nasab, no fatigue is going to even touch them. No person in Jannah is going to be touched by fatigue. What does that mean? What does that mean? A person will never get tired, not even a little bit in Jannah. What happens here? You go you know, to some theme park and you're having fun, you're having a lot of fun, too much fun. You don't want to go, but your legs are aching. Your feet are hurting. You just want to lie down and fall asleep because you're getting tired. Your heart is not satisfied, but your body is not there anymore. It cannot keep up with it anymore. But in Jannah, imagine, pleasure will never end. Why? Any kind of pleasure. Why? Because a person will never get tired. لَا يَمَسُّهُمْ فِيهَا نَصَبٌ وَمَا هُمْ مِنْهَا بِمُخْرَجِينَ Nor will they be expelled from it. No being told, okay, your time is up, now you have to go. No one is being expelled from Jannah. مَا كِثِينَ فِيهِ أَبَدًا This is a reward that the Qur'an tells us about. For who? For who? الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ وَيُبَشِّرَ الَّذِينَ What's the ayah? وَيُبَشِّرَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ الَّذِينَ يَعْمَلُونَ الصَّالِحَاتِ أَنَّ لَهُمْ أَجْرًا حَسَنًا